This is the Late Round Podcast with your host, JJ Zacharisa. What's up, everyone? It's JJ Zacharisa, the editor in chief at FanDuel and at numberfire.com. And this is episode 388 of the Late Round Podcast, one of the many shows that are part of the FanDuel Podcast Network. I'm still here. Thanks for tuning in. When Cam Newton signed with the Patriots this past week, my initial reaction was, hell yes, Cam Newton's going to be on a football field again. That's fun. And then I started to see some takes in my mentions. One of them said that Cam should be ranked in the Josh Allen range at the position. And initially, I was shocked by that. No way should he be ranked that high. He's coming off injuries. He hasn't played in almost a year. He's on a new team. There's a funky schedule this season because of coronavirus. There are so many things stacked against Cam. And I still feel that way. I wouldn't draft Cam Newton as a top 10 quarterback right now. But I should note that he does have that type of upside. We've basically seen it every healthy season of his career. So then I built out the projection for Cam. He comes out as a mid-range QB too. As the QB 17. And that was a conservative projection given all the question marks that I just mentioned. But like I always say, when drafting quarterbacks late, you should be shooting for upside. Cam has that upside. He's been a top four quarterback in four of the five seasons where he's played at least 15 games. That's why his rank is higher than his projection for me. I have him at QB 14, basically in a tier with guys like Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford. And there's a very easy argument to make, considering we're striving for upside, that Newton should be ranked as a top 10 quarterback in some leagues. And by some leagues, I mean leagues where it's easy to make up for a mistake at quarterback. Like easier than usual. If you're in a super flex league or if you're in a league where 30 quarterbacks are going to be drafted, you'll need some sort of safety net. But in a league where it literally doesn't matter if he doesn't pan out, sure, go for Cam Newton. I wanted to share all that because number one, people ask me where I ranked Cam Newton after this signing. But number two, this is the game theory thought process that goes through my mind when this stuff happens. My initial reactions aren't always how I feel even after 24 hours of working through a situation. I wouldn't be ranking him near Josh Allen, but I do think a case can be made that he's a top 10 option, and that's not something that I thought that I'd be saying when this news initially broke. Now, before getting into the questions this week, I want to let you guys know that the next UFC event is set to take place on Fight Island, and FanDuel is celebrating the highly anticipated action with one of its biggest MMA contests yet. For just $8.88, enter FanDuel's $200,000 Saturday UFC Super Octagon and compete for your share of the $200,000 prize pool, including a $50,000 first place prize. Someone is going to win $50,000 on July 11th, and it might be you. For more details, visit FanDuel.com or download the FanDuel app today. Eligibility restrictions apply. The first question this week is, of course, related to Cam Newton. It's from at jholm33. Does Cam joining the Patriots make any Patriots players a better draft value? I think this is the bigger question to ask. This is more important than where we should rank Cam Newton. But in short, I don't think so. I don't think Patriot players get significantly better from this move. I think you might feel more confident in someone like Nikhil Harry But a huge problem and something that happened in my projections is the fact that these pass catchers are likely to see less volume now because the Patriots are now projected to be a better team. When a team is good or when a team is seeing positive game scripts, the pass catchers then see less volume. That's somewhat of a concern. And you might say, but they're going to score more touchdowns because they have Cam Newton. And that's not wrong. 
But Cam Newton's also a player who's going to absorb some of that. We know that he's going to find the end zone on the ground. So the impact isn't felt as strongly. So the issue I'm going to have with the pass catchers there is that I would assume the market reacts in a really, really positive way. And I don't think that's totally wrong. I think that the market should react in some sort of way positively, but I'll likely not react to that same degree. Meaning I'm still out on those guys for the most part. But then with the run game, you have to still be concerned about touchdown upside. And even more so now, a healthy Cam Newton is going to steal goal line work. He's also likely going to run the ball more than a typical quarterback. So not only does that shrink the rushing share for these running backs, but it shrinks the touchdown upside. So I'm not really into those guys this year. And that probably includes James White, depending on where his ADP moves. If it doesn't move, then that's great. I'll draft James White. If it moves up, I might be out. I've seen people cite Cam Newton's tendency to throw to Christian McCaffrey as a good thing for James White. But in three seasons prior to McCaffrey, the Panthers ranked 31st, 32nd, and 31st in running back target share. White is better than anything they had in Carolina previous to CMC. But it's important to not overfit that type of number. So overall, to me, most of the output for the players in this offense remains relatively neutral. The problem is that the market probably won't view it that way. This next question is from at Beard06. Is there a method of streaming kickers and defenses that's noteworthy? Yes, I get irritated when people say kickers especially are completely unpredictable. And I talk about the defensive process on the show all the time in season when I do my matchup show. But for both positions, you want teams in positive game scripts. For kickers in particular, you also want teams who are bound to score points. The best teams in raw field goals are generally teams who are moving the ball and scoring, generally. That's not always the case, because some teams just end up sucking and can't find the end zone. But you want to target good offenses for extra points, too. For defenses, target defenses who are big favorites and who are also facing bad quarterbacks, objectively bad ones. That's the way I can describe the two processes at the highest level imaginable but you can be better than your league mates at streaming those positions. This next question is from at K19Trust. Hey JJ, love the pod and the pause game this offseason. If you had to choose one breakout quarterback going outside the top 10, who would that be for you this year? I think Daniel Jones is an obvious choice outside the top 10. He's a second year player. He has the rushing juice. The weapons are there and he flashed upside last year. He had four top two performances in three games with 30 plus points. So I think Jones makes sense for this question. And his ADP over the last month on best ball tens has been QB 13. So he fits the criteria for this particular question. This next question is from at 53 is the Mike one. Why are some analysts so sure the Bears offense will all of a sudden flourish outside of Allen Robinson? Trubisky and Foles are below average to put it nicely. And Nagy refuses to use Montgomery and Cohen adequately. Now, I haven't seen analysts say that the Bears offense is going to all of a sudden flourish outside of Allen Robinson. It's more so that there are interesting players in that offense you can draft late, specifically Anthony Miller and Tariq Cohen. I'm not really buying into David Montgomery. I just don't see the path to him having a really high ceiling. You've likely got a cap target upside, and he was already set up really well to score touchdowns last year. He was tied for third and goal line touches. He just couldn't convert. But Anthony Miller and Tariq Cohen have a really good chance to exceed value, in my opinion. I talked about them both on this show. Because you like a later round value doesn't mean that you like that offense in general. I don't think from a projection standpoint that Foles is any sort of massive upgrade from Trubisky. But the potential is obviously there. 
Foles being better for those pass catchers than Trubisky is, that can absolutely happen. But you can't just only get players in good offenses. There's a reason some of these players fall in drafts. It's not always just talent-driven, it's situation-driven, and that's partially what's happening with Cohen and Anthony Miller. So I'm not sure anyone is saying that they're going to flourish. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm missing that, but I haven't seen that. I think it's more so that analysts like myself are pointing out values because it's not a necessity to be in a good offense to then be good in fantasy football. It certainly helps, but it's not everything, especially when you're in the late rounds and it's hard to find higher volume players and good offenses to begin with. This next question is from at mreader123. Is Adam Troutman a threat to Jared Cook for 2020? I feel like Cook is a steal. So on Monday, I'll have an episode for you guys on low-key regression candidates. And spoiler alert, Jared Cook is on that list. I don't think Troutman is much of a threat given he's a rookie tight end. But I'm not very high on Jared Cook this year. I'll tease Monday's show with that. There are reasons to be low on Jared Cook. And Monday's show will lay that all out. And it has nothing to do with Adam Troutman. This next question is an email. It says, hey, JJ, hope this email finds you well. It does. I like Higby, but I'm nervous about Everett coming back healthy. Given how much 12 personnel the Rams were playing by the end of last year, do you think he's a good late-round tight end target? Along those same lines, how do you feel about taking multiple late-round tight ends and quarterbacks and dropping them if they don't pan out early in the season? All the best, Nick. So I don't necessarily like taking multiple players at those positions because we likely won't have a clear picture or a clear enough picture like you want. So there's sometimes dead weight. But tight ends and quarterbacks also have worse trade value because of the positions that they play. So you're not extracting as much value with those picks. Like, depending on bench size, it's fine to draft multiple players at both of those positions. I'm just saying don't go crazy since we know the hit rates for those guys isn't amazing. And we know running backs and wide receivers are more valuable. Basically, if you hit on those positions late, if you hit on running back and wide receiver late, you're in way better shape. But I'd be more inclined to take a lot of tight ends before a lot of quarterbacks. Now, as for the question about Higby, that seemed to be the topic of conversation this week on Fantasy Twitter. There was lots and lots of Tyler Higby hate. I can tell you that I have Higby right at his ADP. I haven't drafted him a ton, and in startups this offseason, I have a lot of Gerald Everett just given the cost to acquire. Higby really didn't break out until not just the shift to more 12 personnel for the Rams, but also Gerald Everett getting banged up. In his range of outcomes this year is Everett seeing a lot more volume than we might expect at least compared to the tail end of last year. But Higby balled out. It's going to be tough for the Rams to just keep him in the garage. That's why I understand and get where his ADP is. Especially, too, because the Rams should be a little bit more pass-friendly this year in terms of how they're scoring touchdowns. In a normal fantasy league that the majority of you guys listening to this play in, you probably don't need to get Gerald Everett. You don't need to draft Gerald Everett. It's very likely that the only way he's relevant in a non-best ball league, a non-best ball format, is going to be with an injury to Tyler Higby. We just don't see multiple tight ends as super relevant in fantasy year over year. But it's good to have him ready on the waiver wire. And I think he's a good buy in Dynasty considering he's a free agent next year. This next question says, Why are people so split on Josh Jacobs this year? First round pick with great hands and fractured his shoulder in either week 5 or week 7 and played through it. I've seen rankings from RB6 to RB31. Yeah, I mean, RB31 is pretty nuts. I have Jacobs at RB11 right now, which is basically around his ADP. But the fear with Jacobs isn't so much whether or not he can catch passes. I actually thought that he would do a lot more of that during his rookie year. 
It's just how the Raiders are going to deploy him. He was fairly game script dependent last year when Jalen Richard was stealing a lot of receiving looks. And now Richard is back, and they drafted Lynn Bowden. Those are two pass-catching backs who are bound to steal looks from Josh Jacobs. But Jacobs should still see plenty of work on the ground, and I actually think that you could bet him as a longer shot to lead the league in rushing this year. I just worry about his pass-catching ceiling. I think others are worried about that too. But I have no idea what the person ranking him at RB31 is worried about. This last question says, Is it crazy that I am ranking McLaurin over A.J. Brown? Brown dominated in yards after the catch last year, but that should regress while Washington can't get any worse. I don't think it's crazy at all. My projections currently have A.J. Brown scoring fewer than 10 fantasy points more than Terry McLaurin this year. I've got Brown at 217 and McLaurin at 210. McLaurin absolutely can outscore him. And I think it makes sense to rather have McLaurin at his ADP versus Brown at his. During the month of June, you guys, according to Best Ball 10's ADP, McLaurin went 27 picks after A.J. Brown. That's insanity to me. Now, keep in mind, too, like I talked about on Monday's show, Tennessee's a regression candidate in terms of touchdown scoring and the rate that they scored touchdowns last year. They won't be able to sustain what they did a year ago. And Washington ran the second fewest plays in the NFL since 2011 last season. They're going to run more plays. That's all baked into projections, and that's partially why I'm seeing what I'm seeing and why I'm feeling what I feel about McLaurin versus A.J. Brown. That's going to do it for today's show, though. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you've yet subscribed to the Late Round Podcast, make sure you are by searching for it pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at LateRoundQB. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoy your 4th of July weekend, and I will talk to you next week.